Hey guys, the Knicks take on the Grizzlies at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific on Wednesday the 19th, and then the Mavs square off against the Suns, and on Friday the 21st, the Heat host the Celtics at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, followed by the Nuggets and Warriors. Both are on ESPN and the ESPN app, and both are preceded by NBA Countdown. And with the season right around the corner, sign up to play ESPN Fantasy Basketball. Create a league and play all season long. To sign up, go to ESPN.com slash fantasy basketball or download the fantasy app. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Woj Pod here in Camden with Philadelphia 76ers coach Doc Rivers. Doc, how are you? I'm doing great, Woj. Um, Count, you know, everyone's excited, want to see what we have, and can't wait to get started. You know, we, we're in that adjacent room while you're practicing. And you can't see through the walls, but you can hear through them. And I remember something uh, Bob Hurley Sr. said to me once. I, I spent a year with Bob Hurley in Jersey City uh, writing a book. And every once in a while, I'd look over at him in practice, and he would have his eyes closed. And he would stand there with his eyes closed. I asked him, what are you doing? And he said, I should be able to hear at great practice. The, the sneakers, the hard stops, the cutting and the verbiage and the talking. And just through the walls today, I was thinking about that. I didn't see a moment of your practice. It sounded like a great practice. It was a great practice, and, and you're right. I always say that if you hear the sneakers screeching, if you hear guys yelling and talking, uh, if you hear the voices of the players, it's a good practice. If you don't hear them and you hear the voices of the coaches all practice, it's, a, it's an awful practice. And what made today's practice well was it was all about the players talking. That's all we're encouraging anyway. A couple people had said to me that that PJ Tucker has really brought helped to bring that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That was part of the reason. You know, you know, I think people think when you say we have to get tougher, they think physically, it's usually mentally. Uh mentally tougher, mentally sharper, mentally aware, and sustained mentally. Uh I think that's what at least that's what I usually mean when I use the word tougher. Part of that is physical too, obviously, Woj. I mean, you, you have to be a more physical team, but a lot of it is just mental awareness um, and mental – what happens is mental fatigue. And so PJ is on it. Like He is so focused. It's been a great energy to our team. You know, there's a question I wanted to ask you about, and, and, and it's that toughness. And that was the word you guys all used after the season. I remember seeing one of your players – um, bumped into one of your players in the playoffs in a later round at a, at a game. And he said to me, Doc maxed out our team this year. We, we weren't tough enough. We went as far as we could go. And the definition of toughness that existed, let's say when you played with the Knicks and what you viewed as toughness that you needed to win in the NBA, is it dramatically different in this league? Not really. I mean, the physical toughness, yes. Uh, it's not dramatically, but it is different. I mean, you know, Riley had the rule foul for the first five minutes and they'll stop calling and now you, you can turn the game into a bloodbath. <laughs> you, know, you can't do that anymore. Uh, but the mental toughness has not changed at all. All the great teams are mentally tough. There's no champion that didn't have a great mental toughness. Now, they may not have looked like a tough team, but Golden State I use as a great example. I think the fan looks at them as a finesse basketball team, and yet they're the mentally toughest team in basketball, and that's what allows them to win. 
have you seen that? You, you feel like, listen, you, you added players who you thought would bring that, but you also want to develop it in the group. You further develop it in yeah. the group you have. Has that been as much as anything uh, for you, kind of one of the early measuring sticks of we, we've got to get down that road? That's huge, and you just hit on it. You know, as the one player said, we did max our talent out last year. We got we went as far as we should have gone. And and it's a tough spot for a coach well, when you're sitting there and you visually see it as the playoffs is going. Now, you're still trying to figure out a way. Let's see if we can steal this series somehow. Um, but it doesn't matter how many players you bring in that are going to bring it. They have to bring along the guys that don't have it, that don't know it and haven't seen it. I think the number one thing that helps is competition. We have, we're 12 deep and the guys that have been here have always played. They've been comfortable. Now all of a sudden they're looking around and there's no guarantees on who's going to play. That's going to force some type of mental toughness. And, and so that's been really good for us. Doc, starting your 24th season as a head coach in this league, 1,043 wins. What was required of you as a head coach in 1999 when you started in Orlando? How different is what is required to you as a head coach in 2000? That's a great question. I'll say this. Um, and, you know, when I talk to coaches, especially young coaches, um, they always ask now, when you play, did you respect your coach? And I say, yeah, it was just part of it, you know. You know, I always tell the story. I'd never seen Mike Fratello in my life, literally in my life. And Randy Whitman and I were sitting on a couch, and this little guy comes up and stands there by the couch. And we were looking. I'm like, who is this guy? And then he says, hey, guys, I'm Mike Fratello. And we jump off the couch because he was the head coach. I said, now you may walk up and say, hey, I'm Doc Rivers. And the guy may reach his hand out, you know. So that's changed. But I don't know how – for the worst that is, at the end of the day, and when I tell coaches, you're going to have to earn it anyway. Even though Mike Fratello was a coach and we jumped up because in our day you just respected the name, at some point he was going to have to get our respect with his with his knowledge and with his delivery and with his coaching, right? Now it's that's at the beginning. You have to get their respect from how you coach them. A uh, little tougher, but at the end of the day, you still have to do it. And that's... That's what's changed. And then the, the biggest change, Woj, is that these players aren't just basketball players anymore. You know, they, they have these brands and, and all this stuff, and that affects teams. And, and so as a coach, you have to be aware of that. How about a diminished attention span? Yeah, for sure. And also communication. I always tell this. My first eight years as a player, there was no such thing as a cell phone. Think about that. So when you got on the bus after a game, the buses were lively. You could hear it. Like if you, if, if I had a game and let's say Michael scored 50 on me, walking to the bus, I knew once I entered the bus, it was going to be a free-for-all on me. You know, Michael killed you. And then you start laughing about it and talking about it. There was no agent that could reach me. There was no wife, no kids, no friends. Now you get on the bus it's quiet. The outside world can now get inside your team. Uh, early on, that wasn't possible. And now I think it really affects how they communicate. You know, a player will come up to me, such and such needs to pass me the ball. 
And I'm looking, well, he's right there. Go, go talk to him. You know, it's a passive-aggressive generation. So, yeah, it's changed for sure in that way. I mean, you, you think of in Boston, those bus trips, right? KD, or KG, you know, running things on the bus and how much talking and all the things that went on there. Um, that was a raucous bus the, 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 the plane, the bus, you know, I do think like we went to Rome and none of their cell phones worked. So that started it. And then KG is KG. So that helps. But, you know, I turned it. Yeah. And you remember the story. I turned the planes into their locker room because I felt like, you know, back then the media was in the locker room all the time and guys were hiding guys. And I felt like we needed some place for them to really let loose. And so, you know, I would tell the flight attendants and everything, like, they're going to gamble, they're going to play loud music, and we're going to, we called it the jungle. We turned it in literally. But what happened was the communication. Guys would have a problem on the floor in a the game. They'd get to playing cards with the music. It started getting talked about loudly, and they worked it out. It was never a fight. There was never a problem. Um, because if you don't build up equity with people, you can't then go on the floor and think you're going to yell at someone if you're a player or a teammate. And that's why I just I really try to encourage them to they, they have to they have to talk to each other. They have to communicate. Otherwise, you're going to get it from everybody outside of telling you what someone else said or did. And it's never going to go right. Has this kind of how the era has evolved? Has it forced you to be a better communicator? Maybe <laughs> not even with your best couple players, but further down the roster than a head coach may have had to pay attention to could have left it to his staff yeah absolutely you you have to reach out and touch someone you know but I always tell the Chuck Daly story you know in his last couple of years we were talking and Chuck was known as the great communicator right and I remember asking him Chuck if you could do your whole coaching career over what would you do he said I would have communicated more so he was already known as a great communicator and he always said is never enough um, and and so you learn that there were many times and, and you know I've done it in Boston, I did it with the Clippers where I left it up to an assistant. Hey, you need to tell them. Now, even if I say that, I'm going to circle back. Um, it's just so many things that can get lost in translation now uh, and turned into something much bigger. And you learn as a coach, get it right. People were really talking about that practice video clip of you and James Harden from Charleston. You got mic'd up and... I think typically when people see mic'd up in this league are just platitudes, just like if you're watching a sitcom on TV about a coach, it's the cliches that would be in a show because they want it to be so vanilla. Yeah. And it seemed like that really struck a chord with people because they really got inside a, a, a longer, more specific conversation. I thought it was great. I was kind of curious your reaction to typically that's not going to get put out unless you see it and listen to it and but but what did you sense of people's reaction to it and 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 maybe why it was good that that it showed like a, a little bit more of a window into what this job really is well my reaction was i forgot i was live i was live um you know and you usually don't want any of that out but uh none of that was bad you know so the fact that it did get out um it just showed the communication you have to have. And uh, coaches are, we have to sell the program. We have to sell what we need to do. And we have to get our players to believe it. 
Um, and even though like James is a superstar and he is, uh, you still got to make sure that we're all on the same page. Uh, and, and we're all on the same page as far as cooperation of winning. You know, that's the whole key. And we all know that teams that cooperate with each other win teams that don't don't. Uh, and you need each guy. Uh, and James is so important in that because James right now is trying to do everything we tell him to do. And I wanted to make sure he remembered who he was. Uh, and in that, be you, but be this also, and then we can win together as a team. Uh, and I thought that was very important. I, I literally say something to that effect every day to James uh, because I think he's that important to this team. What did the brief time, and it was fairly brief, that you had him last season and coached him until the end, what did you learn about coaching him in that time that gave you a lot of thought over the summer about how you wanted to see the season go? Well, it was tough, and you're right. It was so brief. You didn't – the communication part was hard because he ran in and they played and the, the season's over, you know. So for me, uh, the first thing I saw that I didn't know, I always knew James was a good passer. Like, you knew that, but he was such a great scorer, you didn't see his ability to see the floor and play make. And so that's what hit me first. Like, man, this guy, we don't have a point guard. This guy can be a scoring point guard. And I use the word scoring Magic Johnson for us. But the trick is to get him to do that plus score. And, and that's hard to do. And there's a fine line. You know, James has never played on a team where he's the second best scorer. And for James Harden, that's a hell of a statement because he's one of the greatest scorers of all time. Then he comes to a team where he's playing with the leading scorer in the NBA. And so, you know, I saw that. Like, can that work? You know, people forget in the 24 games they played, James and Joel were the number one pick and roll duo in the NBA. And it was at 50% efficiency as far as I was concerned. And so what I saw this summer, if we can get that up to 75% efficiency, we will be very hard to beat, especially down the stretch of games. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. James and Joel, anywhere you've been, <coughs> anybody who coaches in this league, those partnerships have to work. And in the end, no coach can make it work. No. Right? The players have to. Um, has each had to make any concessions? Jay, like I said, Joel's the, the MVP. Yeah. And certainly the MVP level 
player. He's your best player. There are concessions, James, everyone has to make around that. Does that seem like a clear picture? Did it seem clear from the beginning? How how is that partnership kind of evolved? Yeah, it wasn't clear from the beginning because we didn't know how it would work, how it would fit. Uh, we didn't know what pace we could play at. We didn't know a lot of things when we got James. Um, we didn't know how efficient he was in, in ISOs. Um, you know, he wasn't in the greatest shape. So there was a lot of unanswered stuff for us. Um, the number one thing is the one-two part. Uh, the number one, this number two thing is the actual doing it part. You've been around this league, and I, I have as well. When you get the stars to cooperate totally, and when you get them to understand you have to give something back. Like, you know, the old thing is you ask every player in the league, do they want to win a championship? Everyone is going to say yes. When you ask them to give up something, then that goes down to about 20%. You know, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice? Uh, because you just can't do whatever you want to do and think you're going to win, especially if you haven't won. Um, James has been in the league a long time, is yet to win. Joel's now been in the league a while and yet to win. So clearly, we have to find a way for them to win. And, and both of them have to give up something uh, to each other. You know, Bill Russell had that statement, if I'm the only one that can be great, we can't win. But if I can be great and give room for my teammates to be great, then I'm a winner. And, and that's what we're trying to get all of our guys to see. And, and that's what you had in Boston. You got um... – when you make the Garnett trade and the Ray Allen trade, and now Paul Pierce is going to be a part of this. He's not going to get traded. He's now got a group around him. Paul was at that point in his career. Kevin, you never had a question. Kevin's willingness to do whatever. It took yeah. And it wasn't. And then Ray, this is a little more like that because, like you said, these are guys who've done incredible things individually, but they're at a point in their career where they realize I'm the judgment about me is going to be winning. Yes. And, and you get them at that point in their career. The Clippers, you had sort of an earlier period in those guys' career yeah. than, than Boston and now. Yeah, I would say both uh, with the Celtics, you got the guys at the right time where they weren't worried about the them. They were worried about uh, the we, the team. Um you know, I uh, look at those Clippers teams. It was just, you know, there was a lot going on. The early teams were with personalities. And a lot of that was more individual stuff. It had nothing to do with the team. And if guys don't want to get along at the end of the day, it's not going to work. You know, uh, the last team, I didn't have that team much, you know. So there's nothing you can do there. Uh, but overall. Yeah, in Clippers, I was talking the, the, the Blake, Chris Paul, Blake, Blake. Yeah, that that was a, you know, it's funny though. It, you get these windows and I really believe that. Uh, and that first year, if you remember, we had them playing right. Uh, they were kind of giving in. And then we had that fiasco in Oklahoma where the five mistakes at the end of the game, we lost the game, we lost the series. And that was the beginning of the end, you know, uh, because that was more of a, we're not buying in anymore. We don't like each other enough. Uh, meaning player, player. And when you have that, it's just not going to work. I don't care if you have Nuke Rockney in there. It's not going to work. And that's why I keep going back to that cooperation. And you made the right point. Sometimes it has to be the right time. Um, and I'm hoping it's the right time for our guys. You, you talk about a window in time. 
And, you know, there's something organizations, they always say, they say, we want to build sustainable success. We want to have this. And I'm not sure that exists in the NBA anymore because it doesn't matter if you have your best three or four players under contract for three or four years. You know, it's essentially I'm entering the transfer portal. Yeah. I want out and like, show me the guy other than maybe KD this summer who, who backed off it in the end. Who's, who was determined to get traded and didn't get traded. That as an organization, you can't really exist or function if one of your best, if one of your stars. Oh, well, if, one of, if one of your stars say they want to get traded, it's, it's, he's getting traded. Um, posture, you can tell teams always under contract, we're keeping them, but you can't. And so that really limits these windows we talk about. They don't exist because if it doesn't go right one year, two years, it's either I want out or they're going to get you out or – but but you're probably not going to have that same group for everyone's going to accept falling short three or four years the thing's going to break up it's going to especially if things fall short because eventually they're going to get tired of your way or they're sacrificing for that guy um you know and then then we do make mistakes like if i went back into boston the biggest mistake what did we make after 2008 we start chipping away giving pieces away tony allen uh, James Posey, where I thought what Golden State did smart, they kept their core as long as they could keep it, you know, and then obviously they started making moves when the guys got older. Uh, but you're right. That's extraordinary that their guys still get along and want to be there. That's the outlier. That is not normal anymore in our in our NBA. Uh, this new guys want their own team thing, you know. Um, I, I swear I don't know where that came from. I don't I hate it uh, because it's everybody's team. Uh, you're the best player on the team, and we need you to be the best player. And you don't have to show us you're the best player. You have to show us you're the best teammate too. Uh, but you're right. It's hard having sustained sustained success with one group. It's, it's really not normal anymore. How does that impact as a coach runway of – there might have been a time where you could look at sort of the development and growth and now do you just have to look at the job and building your team or the pushing along young players, whatever it is, in smaller increments than in another time? Yeah, but you got to still do it the right way. Like you can't let and, – and I tell coaches this all the time, and I have to listen to it myself at times. You can't let what can happen to you affect how you should coach. You, you really can't. Uh, you have to build your team. When I when I took this job, I took this job because of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And I looked at those two guys and I said, man, if we get the right guys around them, we can build this into a, a team that can win titles and be great every year. I didn't think they were ready when I took the job. Um, but the culture was changing. I mean, Ben had a, some amazing year that year. We ended up having the best record in the East, which no one predicted. We were not ready to win yet. You know, and, and that was clear. Um, but we had taken a huge step. Um, you know, so for me, I still had to coach them the same way, like building, you know, trying to build culture, trying to build on the inside. And eventually I thought it would end up winning on the outside, you know. And then that got upset, obviously. But you, that doesn't mean you should stop trying to build this group. You know, that's just the way it is. When a young player like Tyrese Maxey comes along, you know, one of you, I was talking to your team security guy when we came in and we were just talking about Maxi and he said he's just never had a player in this facility. And you guys say it all the time, who just 
like just in here more than anybody. Yeah. And you know, he was a pick in the twenties and um, all of a sudden, and, and you've seen, and then it certainly seems like there was another jump over the summer. That yeah. You start seeing 23, 24 years in the league, 60 years old. Does that still get you juiced up? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's amazing. Uh, well, first of all, he's never had a bad day and he helps me. Like I look at that, like, you know, there's days just life comes in. Tyrese Maxey rarely had, I think since he's been here, he's had two days where I can remember that he was emotionally down. Uh, game seven or, or that we just had, <laughs> he was down. Uh, or, get, you know, game when we lost to uh, um, Miami, that last game, he was down. You could feel it in the game. And then he had another day. But those type of guys, as a coach, you just don't want them to ever get spoiled. You don't want them to ever change. You want them to stay in that happy zone. Like, he comes to play every night. He competes. He's tough, but he loves it, and he's having fun doing it, and his work ethic is contagious. Yeah, you. those are the guys that give you energy. Uh, it makes you love coaching. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Last time I think we sat down for a podcast, we were in Chicago. You and you, me and Eric Spolster sat down and is at the coaching meetings, which I always think of the pandemic the last couple of years, well, prior, always would try to go to that because everyone's there and it's a good place to see everybody. Um, when you guys get together at those and you're talking among each other, are the conversations or the topics or the focus among your peers in this league? Are the conversation topics and the things that concern you or you just find yourself talking a lot about, are they different than five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? That's a good question. I think they're better now. All the same guys are there, but I think they're better now. I think the two things that are better. I think the coach-to-coach conversations are way better. When I first got in the league, there was not a lot of communication between coaches. You know, it was the old school guys. Jerry Sloan was going to keep the Jerry Sloan. Pat Riley was going to keep the Pat Riley. There was no sharing. None of that. Um, no, this last coaches meeting we had, we had seven guys sitting at a table talking about problems, you know, things that we should fix. Um, you know, I was asked about how many players do you want in camp? I mean, just, you know, it was just a lot of questions people ask. Um, you know, one coach asked me about ATOs, you know, he said, man, how do you run all these ATOs? Do you, do you practice them or do you run them on the fly? And I said, well, I run a lot of them on the fly. And two coaches were like, you run a play and you've never played, worked on it? I said, yeah, if you have the right guys. If you don't, you don't. You know, but it was just amazing how giving we are. And that just as far as playing and coaching, also as far as contracts and stuff like that, so much more is shared. Uh, and I think for the future of coaching, that's going to be a really good thing. I, I get this sense among coaches that, listen, think – the guys at the top of the profession who've done it, who've won championships, who are on the top 15 list like you, 
Greg Popovich, uh, Steve Kerr, you go through some other, you know, established who, who that organizations value you, but more and more it's become front office driven. You, you know, there's places where they're going to tell guys who you're going to play, yeah. how you're going to, what, what you're going to run. Now there's got to be, listen, the person putting the roster together, there's got to be a confluence of style of play and who we're bringing in and that's all part of it. But, but certainly if a player doesn't like what's going on, he doesn't have to come to you. Yeah. He can go to the GM. He can go to the owner. He might skip the GM yeah. and go right to the owner. That, I, I, that's changed. Like it's more of a kinship yeah. of, like, I don't, I don't know if under siege is the right word, but. It's a good word. It's a good word. It, it really is. Um, you know, we talked about this this year. And, you know, coaches now, after every game, who's the blame? Uh, we we lost a playoff series this year. You know who should get fired? Um, you know, not looking at Joel was injured. You know, for the most part during the playoffs or any team. That's just the way it is now. Um, players now can go above you. Uh, and and the key though is if your management is lockstep together. Um, yeah, fine. Go talk to the owner. The owners is going to tell you the same thing that I'm telling you, and we're all together. Where it falls apart now is where a player can go talk to an owner or the GM, and the GM is not telling him what you told him. You know, my favorite thing all season last year was the Jimmy Butler Spo argument. Because, you know, what Spo was saying, go ahead, go call Pat Riley. Mickey Harrison will wait for you after the game. I don't care. We are together. And when you have your front office, that's – you know, uh, Danny Ainge and I, Lawrence and I, when you, when, but ownership has to be connected in that group too. And where the difference was Danny Ainge and I, plus the ownership, you would not penetrate that. No matter if Paul went up, uh, Kevin went up, Ray went up, you can go talk to them. Then they're going to come back and tell me. And usually what they would say is go talk to Doc because that's where you need it to be. And when you don't have that, it's hard to win. It's really hard for a coach to be successful. From the outside last year, listen, you played in New York in an unbelievable era of very competitive media Yeah, in the middle of a lot of, you know, that was a golden age in New York media, the tabloids, TV, and it, it was more of a local than it was a national thing. Um, in Boston for a long time, which I would argue Boston, Philly, as local medias go, as intense as any, mm -hmm. it felt like last year you seem more irritated. Yeah, you 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 seem more irritated by criticism last year. Is that yeah, a fair assessment? yeah, I think that's very fair. I just uh, you know for one thing, I came in under a strange circumstance, COVID. So I didn't you know usually you get a chance to meet your media. You know I do the lunches with them and you have some relationship with them. Uh, I didn't have that. Uh, so that was one part. There was no relationship between me and the media. Uh, and then the other part was this, the second guessing that I thought that went on. You know, I asked the one guy the question, and I probably should have used another coach. Um, and that was more of a being honest, a racial thing when I said, you know, would you ask Pop that question? Uh, because I felt like the question was disrespectful. And, you know, I've been great with the media overall. But there's times – 
where I can be feisty too because that's who I am. And I thought last year it was feisty most of the year, which I didn't like, honestly. Uh, and that's something that you want to do better in uh, as a coach. And, and I think too, like I have a great deal of respect for the guys at this time who cover the team. And I, part of it too, I think I see is they'll cover the granular, maybe the granular details yeah, more than just maybe always your top two players with a big thing further all, you know, like there's an intensity to it. And that's part of it too, right? Where you're, I think you're getting asked about, you know, your, your, third point guard your fourth guy and but you know i i don't mind that like it's funny the the two jobs that people told me not to take you know don't take the boston job the media is crazy there uh they expect too much and i'm thinking it's the boston celtics and then don't take the philly job the media is crazy there and i thought the same thing so i chose to be here uh i really did and i have like i have no issues with media uh but that doesn't mean if you don't come right, then I'm just going to accept it. Though at times, most of the times, you should just accept it and move on and do your job. What what keeps you coming back to this job, to coaching in this league? You know, when when you get into sort of those dog days of summer and you start to get revved up again for camp, what what gets you revved up about still doing? Uh, winning the the opportunity to win and change teams and change the culture. Um, I mean, this was a this taking this job was a gamble. Uh, I could have set out and waited. Uh, um, I had two years left. Bomber would have gladly paid me. Um, and I was going to do that if the right job didn't present itself. There are three other jobs there that I was not taking. Um, but I just looked at culture, um, young players, like teaching the, the, the hardest thing to teach now in this day of everybody having their own individual coaches is teaching them to win as a team. And that's what I love doing. Like just getting guys to buy in and and come together. Um, Yeah. Go do your individual work, but then come back and give that to the team. Uh, Seeing that come together. Well, there's nothing better from a coach is when it can come together. Uh, Would I want to coach a rebuilding team again? No, I've, that's why I left Boston, you know. Um, but when you have a team, you know, I took the Clippers. They hadn't won. And let's see if we can change it. Um, we, we had success, but we didn't get them over. We did change the culture there. I mean, um, you know, Lawrence and Steve, myself, we changed the culture there. It's, it's looked upon as a winning organization now, but they still haven't been the winner. Uh, coming here, let's see if we can turn this back into a winner. We have banners here to look at. And that's a good thing. So that's one. And then the other part is relationships with the players. Uh, I'm known as a player coach. I don't know if that's true or not. There's players that can't stand me and and I'm fine with that. I've always believed I'm going to tell you what I think you need to hear. And I hope you like me afterwards, but if you don't, that's fine with me too. I'm doing my job. And what happens usually, and you've heard this many times, two years later, three years later, a player somewhere and you're at dinner and they come over and they say, gosh, you were telling me right. I wish I had a listen. Um, and sometimes that doesn't happen. And that's fine. That's part of coaching. Opening night in Boston, it is just a couple, yeah. a couple weeks away. Wow. Doc, thank you as always for taking the time. Keep this group healthy to the preseason. This is going to be a, 
it's going to be a pretty wild ride in the East. It's going to be a, it's going to be a great NBA season. I mean, it really is. The West is is a mess. You know, Golden State, Clippers, and whoever else. I think those are the two teams. And the East, I mean, honestly, um, Milwaukee, you should always keep at the top, even though Boston's right there. And it's it's going to be a heck of a year. I, I can't wait. I, I think the NBA is in a great place right now. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Woj. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest, Philadelphia 76ers coach, Doc Rivers. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to also listen to The Low Post with Zach Lowe, The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, and of course, the Adam Schefter podcast with my good friend, Adam Schefter. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.